welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. We've been talking about the connection between the church and Israel and how the Old Testament relates to the New Testament. And you may remember we discussed how God has created and chosen the Jewish people to be a nation known as Israel long ago, um, and he made a covenant with them. We also saw how that Israel have by and large uh, broken that covenant uh, many, many times, but how uh, God still loves them and has plans for them. How in amongst the nation of Israel, there's always been a faithful remnant of followers of God right through to the present day who have decided, yes, Jesus was and is the Messiah, and so they're called Messianic Jews. And uh, we had one visiting a few weeks ago sharing with us um, from Jews for Jesus. You might remember Bob Mendelssohn. And um, we also looked at how uh, Jesus fulfilled the old covenant, brought in a new covenant so that People who were not Jewish, us, Gentiles, everyone else in the world could be included and involved in God's plans. Good news for us. And then last week, of course, Ruth uh, did a great job looking at Old Testament prophecies and how they relate to both Israel and the church and non-Jewish people today uh, for us. Um, and so today we're going to finish this series, but it's fantastic because it's leading into Easter, which, of course, Jesus, you remember, uh, God chose the time for Jesus, that centre point in human history, for Jesus to be crucified for our sins. He chose the Passover for that time for Jesus to, to be crucified. And so it was a fulfilment of all the Old, Old Testament prophecies and also what we're going to look at today, the types in the Old Testament, the typology, uh, particularly the typology of the uh, tabernacle and the temple. And so what is a type, I hear you ask? I'm glad you asked. A type <laughs> is a person, an object, uh, an institution or an event in the Old Testament which foreshadows or prophesies something that is fulfilled by Jesus in the New Testament. And so all the Old Testament uh, you know, ceremonies and institutions were in themselves powerless to save people from their sin. But God designed and used these ceremonies and uh, types uh, as uh, prophetic symbols uh, of the saving work of Jesus. They were illustrations or symbolic representations of what would, would come further down the track. For example, the flood in Noah's time um, was a picture of baptism. We're told that in the first uh, letter that Peter writes to the church. Uh, Melchizedek, the priest that Abraham encountered, he was a type of Christ. And you read about that both in the Old Testament and in the book of Hebrews. And the Passover lamb, as we heard uh, a few weeks ago, was also a type of Christ because John the Baptist announced when he saw Jesus, behold, the lamb of God, not a lamb of man, not a human, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So today we're going to look at the tabernacle and the temple. And the system and the sacrifice, system of sacrifice and worship that um, that they housed, 
um, and then what it means in the New Testament, how it relates. So you may remember Moses leads the people out of Egypt, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, millions of them by that time had been living there for 400 or so years and yet they were oppressed uh, under slavery, uh, bondage, enforced labour. They get released and sent out on the way to the promised land but that takes 40 years for them to get there and on the way God gives Moses uh, very detailed instructions to build uh, this tabernacle, this tent-like structure that could be packed up and go uh, and, and and then set up again wherever they moved uh, on to. Um, and so this was a portable place of worship called the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. It was about it wasn't that big. It was about half as big as this building. It was about five meters wide. So it's only about half as wide. Uh, about five meters high and uh, only about 15 metres long. That was the actual tent. And then out of that, outside that, there was, a, was an outer court and then that was surrounded by a, um, a fence. Uh, and then they'd pack all this stuff up. And then, of course, hundreds of years later, Israel, the nation, has settled in Jerusalem and King Solomon, with all the money that his dad had saved, King David had saved and set up for this, King Solomon built the temple, the great temple of Solomon in Jerusalem. And it was twice as big as the tabernacle, uh, very grand, uh, most amazing building, one of the most expensive buildings ever built in human history. Uh, But it had the same sacrificial system and the same articles and items of furniture, uh, which were all symbolic and significant, as we shall see in a moment. So then you fast forward to the New Testament, And we come to the letter of Hebrews, which we're going to look at. We're going to look at chapter 9. So this letter was written, of course, to Hebrews, Jewish people, um, who had become followers of Jesus. And it explains the connection between the Old Testament Hebrew culture and what was happening in the New Testament with the uh, realities that had been brought in by Jesus. And, um, And in particular, how the Old Testament sacrificial system related and had been now had been a type of um, the ministry of Jesus. So when you read through um, in chapter eight, the writers talking about the old covenant, and then we get to chapter nine. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, and I want you to follow with me and bear with me because I want to read a big portion, nearly the whole chapter. We'll actually cover the whole chapter. I'll just skip out a bit so we can stay awake, all right? But if you are starting to drift off, just keep an eye on the person next to you and just give them a slap, tickle, a little pinch. Um, Now, unless you've been doing night shift, where's Jade? Jade here this morning? Oh, Jade's dad used to come along before he went home to heaven. He used to work uh, all Saturday night at the hospital. He was a nurse. And he was the only one in the family with a license and he'd pick up the wife and the kids and bring them all to church and he'd be there worshipping and then I'd get up to preach and he'd soon fall asleep. Uh, and he'd come up after and say, oh, I'm so sorry, Pastor Chris. I'd say, Phil, that's fine. I totally get it. You know, Others, not good. I, you know, no, I, could, I thought I saw. Uh, and so I'm just watching, you know, always watching. Now, um, so uh, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 1. Uh, That first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship and a place of worship here on earth. I'm going to skip now, verse 9 to, sorry, verse 2, right through to verse 9, details the the layout of the tabernacle and uh, and we'll look at that 
in a moment. But if you go down to verse 10, pick it up there. And he says, um, or she, we don't know exactly who wrote the letter of Hebrews. Uh, For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He's entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world, with his own blood. Not the blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer would cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can now receive the internal inheritance God has promised. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins that they'd committed under that first covenant. Now, when someone leaves a will, verse 16 It's necessary to prove that the person who made it is dead. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. That is why even the first covenant was put into effect with the blood of an animal. For after Moses had read each of God's commandments to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats along with water and sprinkled both the blood of God's, sorry, sprinkled both the book of God's law and all the people using hyssop branches and scarlet wool. Then he said, this blood confirms the covenant God has made with you. In the same way, he sprinkled blood on the tabernacle and on everything used for worship. I mean, honestly, talk about blood spatter, like all those CSI shows, there was blood everywhere. In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. Listen, for without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Note that, we'll finish on that later. Which is why the tabernacle and everything in it, which were copies of things in heaven, had to be purified by the blood of animals. But the real things in heaven had to be purified with far better sacrifices than the blood of animals. For Christ did not enter into a holy place made with human hands, which was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered into heaven itself to appear now before God on our behalf. He did not enter heaven to offer himself again and again like the high priest here on earth who enters the most holy place year after year with the blood of an animal. If that had been necessary, Christ would have had to die again and again ever since the world began. What a thought. But now, once for all time, he has appeared at the end of the age to remove sin, not cover, remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes judgment, so also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away all the sins of people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for Him. Come on, what an incredible passage of Scripture. You still awake? Got the tickles, pins going? Wow. Well, a few things, <laughs> there's so much there, but notice firstly, you know that second last verse we read, verse 27? 
There's an answer for reincarnation. Just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So don't, there's your answer if people want to submit to the Word of God and they're confused and they heard a lot about Eastern mysticism and, you know, don't kill that flight, could be Uncle John and, you know, whatever. It's just, you get one chance, this is one, one shot and that's it. No reincarnation, okay? Notice also the reference to a will. Another word for a will is a testament. And so we're told back there in about verse 16 that it's only put into effect when someone's dead. Uh, so our New Testament is the will of Jesus in both senses of the word will, in that it shows, it reveals to us the will of God in the sense of it contains his plans, his desires for us to follow, the will of God. We talk about that. But it's also the will of Jesus because it contains the inheritance that we get as heirs, the promises and the blessings all made possible to us because of the death of Jesus and because we've been adopted into the family of God. Just as kids who might have been adopted into some incredibly wealthy family wait and then the patriarch or the matriarch dies and the estate is left to the kids who inherit something. And so we've got this amazing inheritance in God. And then, of course, the passage also tells us about some of the details of the tabernacle. That was the, the few verses I sort of skipped earlier on and how they're all illustrations or types of the work and ministry of Jesus. So let's look at them. Uh, first of all, in the Old Testament, you had the high priest. Now, no one was holy enough, clean enough to approach God and to enter into his presence. So God had these mediators, the whole uh, Levitical uh, tribe were priests and um, and they, they stood between God and man. And, man, and the high priest... Well, of course, he was the only one that could enter into the holiest place inside the tabernacle. And even then, only once a year. And that was uh, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And that's when he would make atonement for the sins of the people. Uh, also notice he wasn't elected by the people, but was only set there by divine appointment. So all that leans to, points to, indicates, suggests the fulfilment of Jesus' ministry. It exemplifies, I should say, the ministry of Jesus because the book of Hebrews, as we've just read, calls Jesus our great high priest. And he was appointed by God. He's uh, uh, mediating on our behalf. And he's made a better covenant for us because of his perfect sacrifice and blood. And so now we, call, we can be completely forgiven from sin because of this great high priest. We're made righteous in God's sight. So when he looks at us, he doesn't see the sin. It's amazing. And we come into his presence. In fact, First Peter says that we are a holy priesthood. So that's a radical thought. We, we, we don't actually need human priests in the New Testament era because of the work of Jesus to mediate between us and God. We can all, of course, we can do with help from other people, but we all have direct access. You can just pray to the Lord right there. You don't have to go you know, to a person who then takes your petitions or asks for forgiveness for your sin to God, and then, oh, well, I'll get back to you. Uh, wonder, you know. No, you go straight there. Isn't that awesome? Now, let's look at the actual structure. So what I want to do is show you a video, and uh, Sarah might have to pause it if I get a little long-winded, but I'll try and just, uh, oh, I can watch that one. So there's the tabernacle. 
Okay, stop it right there. Didn't last long, did it? Uh, <laughs> so you can see the outer court, the, 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 uh, the fence around the outside, and you can see there were fabric materials that they could roll up and all that, but all the staffs that they could build it on, tabernacle uh, further in, uh, and then keep going, and we'll sh- keep going, uh, and we'll see the gate. Yeah, you can keep going. Oh, you can unpause it, yep. And they should stop at the gate. Now, of course, the gate to the outer court uh, and then into the uh, tabernacle was the only entrance, right? You couldn't get in any other way. So this represents Jesus who said in John 10 verse 7, I am the gate for the sheep, yeah? So we're uh, following him, the only way into the presence of God. When you go further in, um, the outer court's got two main features. You can see the big one there is the altar of sacrifice or the brazen altar and this is where the priest would sacrifice animals on behalf of the people uh, for their sins yes aren't they cute they're about to die because he would bring a spotless animal and don't complain you're going to probably go and have mcdonald's or whatever and eat a lamb burger Um, so um, you can see you know the spotless animal would be killed Um, and of course this is a type of christ uh, our sacrifice the lamb of god and there's um, the outer courtyard. Um, and then, of course, there was also, you can see there, the laver of bronze. There it is. And this was used by priests to wash their hands ceremonially uh, before, any, b- before they perform any rituals. And this shows that they were sanctified, set apart to God. And this reflects how Jesus, just pause it there, uh, he's continually uh, cleansing us through the Word and the Spirit, we're told. So then we are sanctified to be used by God's glory. So then you've got the, uh, the tabernacle itself. So we move in there and, uh, and we enter into what was called the holy place. This was the first room. Only the priests were allowed in here. And you can see there's three pieces of furniture. The one on the left is the lampstand or the menorah. And this was made from pure gold. It was the only light inside the tent, which symbolises Jesus, because in John 8, 12, he said, I'm the light of the world. And he illuminates our mind so that we can know about God. The other thing over there is the table of showbread or shoebread. And there's 12 loaves of bread on that, representing the 12 tribes of Judah. Small table, covered in gold. And uh, of course, um, that was known as, you can just pause it there, that was the bread of the presence and um, Jesus said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. If anyone eats of this bread, they will live forever. So Jesus feeds us and sustains us spiritually and eternally. Right, keep going. Um, and the other little item of furniture there uh, that they'll get to is the altar of incense. There it is. Small little altar. Um, used just for burning incense because this fragrance would float upwards to please God and this is representative of our prayers. Uh, So um, through the name of Jesus, our prayers go up to the Father, up to the throne of God. Then we've got the veil into the temple. We're about to go through that veil, separating the holy place from the holy of holies or the most holy place. This is where God's presence dwelt. And uh, you could only enter in here. Hold that, just pause it for a sec. So that area, the, as I mentioned before, the high priest could only go there one day of the year for the Day of Atonement. 
um, representative there of the presence of God, of course, which, as I said, we can all go there now. The Ark, as in Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, but was real. Not everything else in the movie was real, but the reference to the Ark was. There really was an Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, a wooden box, again, covered in gold. And it contained, uh, keep going, it'll show us, I think, the stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments, as well as a little gold box of manna and Aaron's budded rod, all sacred objects to Israel. And of course, an ark represents a place of safety. So this was the safest place for them to keep. You can just pause it there. I think that might be the end of it. Uh, this is the safest place that they could keep those treasured artefacts. And, uh, and of course, all that symbolises how God interacts with his people. He used those different ways, the law and the manner, to communicate with people. Um, and of course, now we have the law written on our hearts. So it's not just on stone, but on our hearts. The mercy seat that you see there uh, is the cover uh, over the ark. And this was a, a gold lid. And, uh, and of course, on the Day of Atonement, the high, the high priest would sprinkle blood right there on the cover and God's presence would fill the Holy of Holies. Uh, legend has it that the high priest would wear a rope tying it around his ankle when he went in because sometimes they would fall under the presence so much they'd have to drag them back out again. Um, and so uh, here we've got this being, this is typifying uh, that the, the, the blood, Jesus, not just covering our sins, but he would remove them completely. Um, and I think, and, and then there we've got the, um, the angels representative there too, the covering uh, angels, the cherubim. And I think if you fast forward, that's about it. Uh, you can put the lights back up. And there he is sprinkling the blood. All right, cool. Um, do you like that? And so that's cool. Let's read again. Uh, this is verse 9 from that uh, chapter we're looking at. Uh, this, All this is an illustration pointing to the present time for the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the conscience of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food and drink and various cleansing ceremonies. Physical regulations were in effect, were in effect only until a better system could be established. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He's entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands, is not part of this created world, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Come on. So notice the reference to the blood. There's a lot of blood because... In verse 22, it said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So this is justice. Forgiveness doesn't come cheaply. You know, it's all very easy to say, oh, well, let's just forgive and forget. And, uh, but, you know, if, God is very loving, but he is also just, and justice just can't ignore sin. Uh, and we know that because of our court system and criminal cases that come before them, it, if someone's committed a crime, there needs to be some consequence. It just doesn't make sense for some murderer to go to court and the judge saying, well, look, I'm just in a good mood. I'm just going to forgive you. Okay, is that all right? Family of the victim? Yeah, you'll be fine. Off you go. There would be an outrage. You know, we have this righteous, God-implanted sense that there needs to be some price to pay. 
And of course, that, that price was paid once and for all time. And we've all been, we've all, we're the criminals. We have all sinned before God. We are all deserving punishment and death. And without Jesus, without his suffering, without his crucifixion, without the Easter message, without his sacrifice in our place, we are lost. We are condemned by our sins. We're unable to have a relationship with God. We're heading towards an eternal suffering situation without Jesus. And, and yet because of Jesus, only because of Jesus, we can be saved, we can be forgiven, we can be, we can be redeemed. That means to be brought back or brought back from being lost and brought back into God's family. Isn't that awesome? And then we get, we get eternal life. We get, we're blessed along the way, all the way through life until Jesus comes back or we just skip into heaven through death. It's lost its sting, as the Bible says. There's no fear of death for a believer and a follower of Jesus. Isn't this fantastic? And all this because of the death of Jesus, which is why we've set this up for us to be considering this with Easter coming in just a week's time. We'll just look at a couple more verses. You know, Matthew records the details of the crucifixion. And if you read, uh, look at what happens the moment Jesus died. You read about it in Matthew 27, verse 50. Then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain or the veil in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and rocks split apart. So this is, this is a moment. This is the moment in human history. So much so that <laughs> you keep reading the next verses, people coming out of their graves and walking around. It's some spiritual dynamic that shook the earth literally and notice that at that precise moment of the death of Jesus, his perfect sacrifice tore down any barrier between God and mankind. A an act of God shown by the fact that the veil was torn from top to bottom. And in the temple, you imagine the temple attendance on that day. It's behind that curtain. You know, there's, you know... Uh, Mary, because everyone seems to be called Mary, uh, uh, you know, sweeping away just in the, you know, the outer sections of the court and there's a priest just on the inside and, you know, he may be getting ready for the Passover sacrifice. Or something. And then they hear this sound. He looks up and remember, it's only the, great, the, only, only the high priest that goes in there once a year. Ah, and the temple... Curtain, no human hand could do it, just rips it from the top to bottom. And he doesn't die. The presence of God doesn't kill him. Because I reckon he would have got born again if he was right in that position right there and then. Um, and if not, he would have soon heard the news from what was happening up the road at Golgotha um, on the hill of Calvary. Uh, and so um, God ripped that curtain, that that veil. Wow. Um, and there's something that we could never do, but only God could and did do. And in doing so, the new covenant was ushered in. And now um, anyone, not just the Jews, anyone could put their faith in Jesus and have direct access into the presence of God. 
Isn't that awesome? Let's finish with one last uh, passage from the next chapter in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 19. And this brings it all home to us. So dear brothers and sisters, we can now boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his presence, to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate each other to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Wow. Notice there's a few let us in all that. God has done his bit. We look on and say, wow, all through human history, there was this leading, this anticipation, this foretelling, these prophecies, these types, these symbols, these illustrations. And then there was the real deal. Jesus came, died, bang, curtain, temple, presence of God. Let us now then enter in. It's up to us. It's not like, well, that's nice. Good story. Oh, video wasn't bad. Good. Where's my coffee? You know, it's like, well, hang on a minute. What am I going to do? I need to enter into the presence of God. Oh, of course, you don't have to, but you'd be a wally not to. Let's face it, you know, when you understand what God has made available. Oh, yeah, presence of God, life-changing, eternal life. Yeah, right. Anyway, I'm going to the beach. You know, it's like, come on. We need to, you know, just sometimes just go, wow, what is... Because if you've been a Christian, look, I've been following Jesus for more than 40 years. Oh, I know, it's incredible. I, had it, I must have got saved when I was one. I know. But... Um, but, you know, after a while, if you're not careful, you just be church, Jesus, redemption, salvation, forgiveness, sanctification, blah, 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 blah Christianese. You know, you know you, you, we just sometimes need to, you know what I'm saying, just give ourselves a little refresher, reminder, and, uh, and, and only you can do that. I mean, well, okay, not only you, you can watch uh, The Chosen you know, or uh, you can go to a great worship service and you, so there are some external influences. Music can move us and stir us and all that. But essentially, a long-term uh, walk with God is our personal decision, a decision to be in the presence of God, to enter into the Holy of Holies that we've been invited to, but God leaves it up to us. He's given us all free will. So that's why he says, I encourage you, don't stop meeting together. I encourage you, stir, let us stir one another to good works. Let us love one another. Let us presence, enter into the presence of God. Isn't that awesome? So God's made it possible. He's made his way, made it available for us. And so let us do our bit and appreciate it and follow Jesus in his presence, carrying his presence as priests. Incredible and carrying his presence to the world around us, yeah? Come on, let's pray. We thank you, Lord. Uh, wow, we thank you for this uh, brief uh, uh, look on, on, on history and, uh, and the types and the past and the walk that the Jews had, but how all of us as Gentiles can be part of your family, be your chosen people, and we thank you. We love you. We appreciate what you've done for us. So we want to... 
live in your presence, appreciate. And we thank you that there's no guilt for everyone. You know, if you're here today, you're watching online and you don't know God personally, you might know about Him, but you might be distant because you feel, oh, you're just sinful. And that's okay because we all are, but you just got to go to the next level and realise Jesus has forgiven you. Jesus is has died for you. Jesus is waiting for you. He loves you and you can be forgiven for your sin. There can be no more barrier between you and God. You can just by faith, not by working hard or being a better person, you can have that relationship with God that deep, deep down we're all looking for. The Bible says God's put eternity inside our hearts. There's a, there's a calling, there's a yearning and, and that yearning will never be fulfilled or satisfied until you come to God through Jesus. But you can do that right now. You can pray a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. Come into my heart. Save me from my sin. Help me to follow you and the ways of God all the days of my life. Amen. Pray that prayer. If you've prayed that prayer here, talk to someone afterwards or online, contact us. We'll help you follow Jesus. We thank you. It's the best way to live. Thank you, Lord God. You've made this possible for us all. And let us walk in your presence, carrying your presence. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.